Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country and was named a Center of Excellence by the Ohio Board of Regents in 2010. It's proud to showcase the Stephen L. Schoonover Center for Communication, a brand-new facility completed in 2015. State-of-the-art laboratory spaces and flipped classrooms are just two of the many features in the new building. Read more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some are not, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today, we're talking to Kyle Condick about his new book, The Bellwether, about the state of Ohio's role in elections as a predictor of presidential results. Kyle's a former journalist and an expert on American campaigns and elections. He currently is the managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball, a nonpartisan political tip sheet produced by the University of Virginia Center for Politics. The bellwether, why Ohio picks the president, uh, you go back to 1896. Give us a little bit of background on this. So, yeah, the, the book, The Bellwether, uh, it's done through Ohio University Press, and it's essentially a uh, history of Ohio and presidential elections, or at least a history of the last 30 presidential elections in Ohio, uh, when the state has picked tw- picked the winner 28 out of 30 times, uh, which is the best record of any state in that uh, time period. And so I go through the history and kind of compare the state to other states and, you know, which ones are, quote, good at picking presidents and which ones aren't. Uh, and then I try to explain you know, why that is and then also uh, uh, provide sort of the history of the state's political evolution to the point where if you start in 1896, uh, some of the places that were most Democratic back then are now the most Republican and vice versa. Uh, and yet there have been so many changes in the state over the last 115 years or so. Um, but those changes have all kind of canceled out to the point where the state still remains uh pretty closely tethered to uh, the national voting. So the book is heavily researched, but uh, I don't want that to be a turnoff to people. It's it's researched, but it's it's an easy read, too. How, how did you manage that? Uh, well, I, I hope it's an easy read. <laughs> I'll let others uh, decide whether that's the case or not. But um, I, uh, you know, I write for... Um, the uh, Crystal Ball newsletter at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. That's my uh, that's my day job. Um, I work with uh, Larry Sabato, who's a, a longstanding American political co- commentator and someone that listeners may have heard heard from before. And our Crystal Ball newsletter tries to be um, very accessible to your your average reader. So we try to talk about politics in uh, an engaging, non-jargony way. I think that sometimes uh, hard political science stuff can be a little, can be kind of hard to access. And uh, a lot of folks have been better about that in recent years of trying to make it more accessible. And I think we're one of the publications that do that. And so I think that working at UVA at the Center for Politics has sort of uh, 
um, help me figure out how to try to express this stuff in a way that that's uh, that's accessible to someone who's who's not obsessed about it like I am. So this may be a uh, off the wall question, but let me ask it anyway. You you talk about Ohio being uh, sort of a presidential predictor state, but we also hear the term constantly throughout elections as swing state. Are both of those synonymous? So I try to make a distinction between what I think are two different terms, um, a bellwether state and a swing state. And to me, there is a there is a, a subtle difference between the two. So I call Ohio a bellwether. A bellwether is a state that is close to the national average no matter what. So if the state is or if the um, the election is very competitive, uh, then that state is very competitive, too. Uh, if the election's a blowout, uh, then that state should also be a blowout. And so the, the state moves the way the nation moves. A swing state uh, is a state that's just close in a given election. And so in a close election, a swing state and a bellwether state will be the same thing um, because the bellwether would be you know reflective of the national average, and so it would also be a swing state because it's close. But in some elections that are blowouts, um, a bellwether would not be a swing state. The swing state might be, you know, in, a, in an election that, say, Donald Trump is winning 60 to 40 nationally, a very Democratic state like California might be the swing state that's, you know, actually 51-49 Democratic or Republican. Uh, you know, so, so that it can be different um, in a given election. So, um, you know, swing state is the term that's used most often, just describing the close states in any given election. Um, but ter- the term bellwether is one that I think is, 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 it describes a state that's historically predictive and that votes close to the national voting, whether it's a blowout or it's a close election. So we've heard over the years Ohio is truly a microcosm of America. Is, is that true? I think it is. Um, and I think it's been true ever since the state was founded. And so um, Ohio is the 17th state to enter the union but in some ways, it's been described as, quote, the first American state, unquote, um, meaning that it had kind of um, it had pieces of essentially all the original 13 states in it. And so in uh, north northeast Ohio, uh, that was the old Connecticut Western Reserve. And so uh, before it became part of Ohio, uh, northeast Ohio was part of. Uh, was part of Connecticut. And so the early settlers of Northeast Ohio were uh, basically New Englanders, Yankees. Uh, The southwestern part of the state, there's a big chunk of land uh, between Columbus and Cincinnati that was called the Virginia Military District. So that was land that was reserved for um, veterans of the Revolutionary War from Virginia. And so you had a lot of Virginians settling that part part of the state. You had a lot of other Southerners settling there. In the middle part of the state, Uh, was settled by Pennsylvanians and other people from the mid-Atlantic. And so uh, from its very founding, Ohio was a good microcosm of the nation. And then uh, as the nation changed, Ohio changed with it. And so uh, when you had lots of, say, German and Irish immigrants in the 19th century, uh, Ohio got its fair share, its sort of average share of those folks. Um, Ohio uh, has had a um, roughly average or close to average African-American population going back many, many decades uh, to the point where it, it, typic- it, it has had more African-Americans than many other states in the Midwest, like, say, a Minnesota or a Wisconsin. 
Um, and also when you had other groups of immigrants coming to the United States, uh, particularly from places like Italy and, and Eastern Europe in the early 20th century, um, a lot of those folks made their way to, to Ohio too. And so again, over time, the state has been, uh, you know, demographically, I think, pretty reflective uh, of the nation. The one way that it is not, and which could impact its future voting, is that uh, again, while Ohio has kind of a, an average number of African Americans, somewhere around 12, 13 percent uh, in the census, uh, Ohio is pretty below average when it comes to uh, Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans, uh, and non-white voters are generally trending Democratic. And so, if um, if Ohio is whiter than the nation as a whole, uh, then maybe it will become more Republican over time if the Republican Party is able to win. Uh, bigger shares of the white vote than they have historically. But um, that may happen, and maybe we'll even see it in 2016. Uh, but in recent elections, there's been little sign that Ohio is moving away from its traditional bellwether status. So we've heard the term throughout the Republican convention, Rust Belt states, and and obviously uh, people toss Pennsylvania into that. Is Ohio considered a Rust Belt state? Yeah, it definitely is. Um and Ohio also, other than Indiana, which is historically the most Republican state in the Midwest, uh, Ohio typically is more Republican in presidential elections than states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. And um, listeners may be familiar with the statistic that uh, no Republican has ever won the White House without Ohio, and that goes back to 1856, which is the start of our two-party system when the Republicans uh um, first compete in a presidential election. We've had 40 presidential elections since uh, 1856. Ohio's voted for the winner in 35 of them. The five times it did not, it voted for a losing Republican over a winning Democrat nationally. Um, and so, uh, Ohio, you know, if, if, say, Donald Trump can't win Ohio, you would not expect him to win Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin or some of those other states. And so, and I don't think you can build a uh, an electoral college map for Trump that doesn't include Ohio on it, because again, you you never have been able to do that for a Republican. Uh, and so the the reason though that Trump has sort of focused on uh, the Midwest and the so-called Rust Belt is that uh, a lot of these states are uh, whiter than the national average, uh, and Republicans are very reliant on white voters, and Trump in particular um, is reliant on uh, what you'd consider working class whites. So. Um, white people who do not have a uh, college degree. Uh, and there are a lot of people like that in Pennsylvania and Ohio and people who, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, people like them could have gotten pretty good employment in a factory or something like that. But a lot of those jobs are gone now and have been gone for a long time. Uh, and um, a lot of people in, in Ohio and Pennsylvania don't like free trade. Uh, in fact, you know, Sherrod Brown, the Democratic right. senator from Ohio, is a longstanding critic of free trade. And you've seen Democrats in Ohio um, be critical of free trade. And even Rob Portman, our Republican senator, uh, has has become somewhat critical of free trade. Uh, and Trump is Trump is a vehemently anti-free trade candidate. Um, and I think that that that's that's a key to to Trump trying to win uh, win the states. And actually, we've seen uh, we've seen Hillary Clinton and her new running mate Tim Kaine also. Um, become more critical of free trade, perhaps in a, as a way to try to um, shore themselves up with, uh, uh, you know, potentially his, his historically democratic uh, whites in states like Pennsylvania and Ohio. 
Let's talk a little bit about what being a bellwether state or a swing state means to the state. It, it means substantial economic benefit to at least some businesses in the state. Isn't that correct? So I think the big the big um, industry that benefits from our bellwether status are television affiliates and to a lesser extent, you know, radio and print and others who might get advertising from political campaigns. Um, the Columbus media market, for instance, is basically as the same size as Salt Lake City in Utah. Um, but a Columbus TV affiliate is worth a lot more than a Salt Lake City one because Salt Lake City and Utah um, is not competitive in presidential elections and Ohio is. And so every four years and even in midterm years, uh, you get a lot more political advertising on television. And despite the fact that um, advertising in other mediums like uh, you know online um, digital advertising have, are becoming more important in presidential elections, uh, broadcast television is still sort of where it's at. That's where a ton of get money gets spent. And so that is an economic benefit to the state. I don't necessarily know if there are other economic benefits um, to to the state from being a uh, bellwether. I mean, obviously we get, there might be kind of a psychological advantage or benefit in that uh, Ohio is one of the few states that actually gets to see the presidential candidates up close. Um, basically the, the presidential candidates, particularly after the conventions, only focus on a handful of true swing states, and Ohio is one of them. Just to put it in perspective, uh, after the conventions in 2012, the the four presidential candidates, so Obama and Biden and Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan in 2012, they made about 250 individual campaign stops in about a dozen states. Um, 70, About 70 of those 250 visits were just in Ohio. So Ohio got almost a third of the total visits. And so we see a lot of the, the candidates both on television, uh, in other media, and also in, in terms of campaign stops. Um, but in terms of actual economic benefit, like I don't think that Ohio gets special favors from Congress, for instance, or special support of state interests because it's a swing state. I don't, I don't see much evidence of that. Um, but Again, the, t the TV the TV stations definitely see some benefit. I, I remember reading in your book, I think WBNS, which is Channel 10, a CBS affiliate in, in Columbus, uh, you said $50 million in advertising in, in 2012 compared to the largest station in Utah in Salt Lake City, which was about $30 million, correct? That's right. Yeah. And, and that's just one station in Ohio or in central Ohio. You know, you've got the other affiliates and Ohio also has a lot of media markets. I think there are seven or eight. And of course, you've got um, three major media markets in, in Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati. And so in order to really run an effective campaign in Ohio, you have to run a lot of ads on a lot of different affiliates and a lot of different uh media markets. And so that, 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 that those costs certainly add up for a campaign. And the Scripps Corporation, which is uh, headquartered in Cincinnati, uh, they're uh, uh, sort of shift now to smaller broadcast units as opposed to print units. Uh, that has an impact with election dollars as well. Yeah, you see when, um, when a company like Scripps or other uh, other companies that own a lot of television affiliates, uh, they will make it clear in their materials that, um, you know, their stations have added value if they are in states like Ohio or Colorado or Florida 
um, again, places that that where you see a lot of television advertising, and so that's become kind of a uh, kind of a selling point for these uh, for these uh, affiliates and these these television properties. We'll be back after this short message. This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Ohio University's online applied communication program offered by the renowned Scripps College of Communication is designed for associate degree graduates who want to further their education and advance their careers. It's been ranked first in the best online bachelor's in communication and public relations students before profits award 2015-2016 by nonprofit colleges online. In the program, you will study across multiple communication disciplines to gain understanding of how they work together and graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Communication in Applied Communication from the Scripps College. One of the premier colleges of its kind in the nation, the Scripps College of Communication, has been designated as a center of excellence by the state of Ohio. It is considered one of Ohio University's most distinguished programs by the Guide to 101 of Best Values in American Colleges and Universities. Read more about it at ohio.edu slash applied communication. Let's get back to the map, uh, if we could, and have the urban centers in Ohio sort of, uh, can they be counted upon to be democratic uh, pretty much no matter what? Uh, So uh, in 2012, Obama won nine of the 10, uh, nine nine of the 10 most populous counties in Ohio. Uh, Just to put it in perspective, in 1896, uh, Republican William McKinley, who was from Ohio, ran um, in Ohio and beat Democrat William Jennings Bryan. McKinley won nine of the 10 most populous counties back then. So you can see how the, the politics have changed. But yeah, so the urban centers in Ohio are generally Democratic. Um, for a long time, Columbus, uh, Franklin County and Cincinnati, Hamilton County um, were actually Republican leaning. But just like basically every big county in the country, with few exceptions, they have trended Democratic over time to the point where uh, Franklin County is now kind of a was a, it was a 60 40 Obama County in uh, in 2012 and Hamilton County uh, was slightly more Democratic than the state it was kind of a swing county um, and you know again Hamilton County used to be pretty Republican so on one hand you have the uh, the big urban counties in Ohio particularly Cuyahoga which is Cleveland and Franklin and Hamilton uh, sort of trending Democratic but then you also have big Republican-leaning suburbs like Butler, Claremont, and Warren counties around uh, around Hamilton County, a lot of the a lot of the counties that surround Columbus. Um, and also Southeast Ohio has been trending Republican after it was uh, more democratic than not uh, in the years of uh, say Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. So again, what we've seen in recent years is that you've had a lot of change in the state, uh, a lot of changing political trends, but, They've all kind of just canceled themselves out. So where are the battleground areas in, in Ohio? If somebody can count on the urban centers, Lucas County being Toledo and obviously Cuyahoga and the surrounding counties in the Cleveland area, 
Franklin, Montgomery County over in Dayton area. Uh, if one can count on those going Democratic, you know, where are the battleground areas? So uh, I split it up in the book. I, I split the, the the 88 counties of Ohio into three different groups. They're the um, what I call the Blue Islands, uh, which are the 10, 10, uh, 10 counties that were 55 percent or more Democratic in the last four elections. And they include many of the counties you mentioned. Also, of course, Athens County is very reliably Democratic, thanks to uh, Ohio University. Right. Uh, and then you've got uh, 58 counties, which I call the Red Reach, which are very reliably Republican. So, uh, you know, most of the counties in Ohio are reliably Republican, and, and those are some of the um, big suburban counties around uh, 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 around Columbus and Cincinnati and, and in the western part of the state. And then you've got 20, 20 counties um, that I call the Purple Enclaves, and those are the very competitive counties, as you say. Um, probably the county that is is historically the most reflective of the, nat- the statewide vote is Stark County, uh, which is Canton. Uh, that's always a county that's up for grabs. Um, also, uh, a lot of the counties around uh, Greater Toledo, so Ottawa, which actually um, has voted for the presidential winner in every election going back to 1964, uh, which is the only county that can say that, and Ohio as a whole can say that, too. Um, that's, a lake, Ca- that's a Lake Erie County just to the east of Lucas County. That's right, yeah. yeah. So so kind of part of greater Toledo, Sandusky County, um, which is doesn't actually have the city of Sandusky. That's Erie County, so it can be <laughs> kind of right. confusing. Um, that's another uh, Swing County, Wood County, um, which is where Bowling Green is, uh, another Swing County. Uh, and then a lot of the Southeast Ohio counties are Swing Counties, but they're sort of they're sort of caught in this transition point where they're moving from being kind of Democratic leaning to more Republican leaning. But so over the last four elections, they've been uh, they've been swing counties, but they're kind of they're places where um, uh, Al Gore and, and, and John Kerry and Bill Clinton before them uh, did better than Barack Obama did for the most part. Uh, so th- those are those are counties that that, uh, you know, all of Appalachia's trended pretty Republican in recent years. So a lot of the counties uh, in that part of the state are, are swing counties on paper, but really are just trending Republican. So if you look at at the map and you would still say that Stark County is the bellwether within the bellwether or is that old news? If, if you had to if you had to pick one, it would be either Stark, uh, which is Canton or Montgomery, which is Dayton, although uh, Montgomery is usually a little bit more democratic than the state, but not really not excessively so. Um, if if a Democrat is losing Montgomery County, it probably means they're losing statewide. Uh, Stark is, you know, Stark was identified as one of the great national bellwether counties in 2004 to the extent that, or to the point where a lot of reporters descended on Canton to, to write about it. And then Stark ended up voting for John Kerry when George W. Bush won Ohio and won the nation. And so, um, these bellwether counties are not necessarily predictive. And what's also notable is that no Ohio County is as reflective of the national vote as the state is as a whole. So that's an important thing to remember, too, if you're uh, looking re- at re- Repeat that slowly for us. So again. no no county in Ohio is as reflective of the national vote as the state is as a whole. Okay. So you so, have to have the total to, to really have right. that impact. I, yeah, you're, I would not... I mean, Stark is about as good as you're going to do for a bellwether county in Ohio, 
Um, but again, it's not, it, it, you know, winning Stark County and, or losing it is not, is not generally the difference between winning and losing um, the state. Kyle, I know you're in Philadelphia for the Democratic convention. Uh, the Republican convention just ended. Uh, we heard a lot of talk throughout the primary season of Donald Trump bringing new voters into the Republican Party. Many predicted those were blue-collar Democrats or what we used to refer to as Reagan Democrats. What impact, if any, do you see that on the math here in Ohio and and some of what you've talked about? So, uh, for instance, the, the Youngstown area is traditionally pretty Democratic. Mahoning County is one of the more Democratic counties in Ohio. That's where Youngstown is. Uh, Trumbull County, its neighbor to the north, which is where the city of Warren is. And both of also, those are right on the Pennsylvania border. And, that's right. And the so old it, steel uh, belt. Yeah. And they're technically classified as, as Appalachian, even though I don't think a lot of people who live there would think of themselves as living in Appalachia, but they are classified as such by the uh, by the federal government. So Donald Trump in the primary won almost all the Appalachian counties, um, and then John Kasich won essentially the rest of the state, with, with few exceptions. Uh, and Trump did really, really well in a lot of those counties to the point where um, maybe, maybe some of that translates to the general, and so maybe... Um, you know, instead of a Democrat getting uh, 60% plus in Mahoning County, maybe they're only getting 55. But the flip side of that is that uh, some of Trump's worst counties were in the classically Republican wealthy suburbs. A, a great example is Delaware County, which is just north of Columbus. Delaware County is the fastest growing county in Ohio. It's one of the most educated. It is the richest county in Ohio, has the highest median income. Uh, and it, it's also has the longest streak of voting Republican of any county in Ohio. Uh, and yet it was also Trump's worst county in the primary. So uh, one wonders if, you know, let's say Trump is making inroads in Appalachia, but what if he's running behind Mitt Romney in a place like Delaware County? Then maybe he's just sort of just sort of treading water and not really gaining ground. So in order to win Ohio, Trump's not only going to have to improve on Mitt Romney's performance in Appalachia, where Trump is fairly popular, he's also going to have to maintain Romney or do better uh, in some of the places where he didn't do so well in the primary. So that's the challenge for Trump in Ohio. And you add into that the governor of this state, uh, the governor of Ohio, paying little to no attention to Donald Trump, at least during the Republican convention. What kind of impact do you think that could have. Well, you know, Trump has not, as of as of yet, built a a big ground operation in terms of getting people to come out to vote. Now, uh, this will actually be an interesting kind of political science experiment because Clinton is spending a lot of money on that, and Trump's not spending that much, and so we'll have to see if there's that much measurable impact about that imbalance. But to the extent that Trump's going to have a ground game, he might be reliant on the National Republican Party. Uh, and also the state Republican parties, and you know the state G the state Republican Party in Ohio is a is a John Kasich operation basically. Uh, Matt Borges is the party chair; he's a Kasich ally, and they don't seem particularly enthusiastic about Trump. Uh, and so I just wonder uh, how much actual support the party is going to give to Trump. But you know the party's also trying to reelect uh, Republican Senator Rob Portman, and. You know, I think maybe the best way to get Trump or to get Portman reelected is to see Trump win the state um, because there's a pretty high correlation between, you know, presidential voting and Senate voting. 
So in order to help Portman, the Ohio Republican Party may need to help Trump. So maybe um, maybe they'll end up uh, coming to some sort of an agreement. But uh, it was pretty striking that John Kasich decided not to speak at the, at the convention in Cleveland. Uh, it just shows how uh, how deep the rift is between Kasich and Trump. We've been talking about popular vote pretty much. Uh, let's shift a little bit to the Electoral College and and the role Ohio's had in that, and is that going to be diminished? So uh, Ohio has been losing electoral votes in recent uh, census, uh, 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 the recent decennial census. So um, at, at a time, Ohio had 24 or 25 electoral votes uh, in the middle part of the century. Now it only has 18 probably going to lose another one after the 2020 census. And Ohio's population isn't declining. It's just not growing particularly quickly. Uh, in other states, particularly in the Sun Belt, like Florida and Texas and Arizona and other states, are growing much, much faster than Ohio is. Uh, so uh, on one hand, Ohio, is, is its clout is kind of diminishing, but uh, it still remains a major prize in the Electoral College. And at least for the time being, in recent years, uh, it's voted very, very close to the national average. Uh, and in fact, in 2004, it was the decisive state. You know, if if, uh, if George W. Bush had lost Ohio, John Kerry would have won that election. So uh, and, and Ohio was very, very reflective of the national vote uh, in in, uh, in in 2004. So, you know, Ohio to me is is as important as it's ever been. Uh, and again, if it's if it's trending away from becoming a bellwether, it's it's not a, it's not immediately clear from the. Um, recent voting that that's happening. We talked about Trump and, and Trump's influence in Ohio and what he has to do. Let's go to the other side of that. What does Hillary have to do? Will she get a strong woman's vote in Ohio? Do you anticipate? Would that make a difference? I think that there's potential for Clinton to outrun Barack Obama amongst white women in Ohio, particularly white women in um the wealthy, educated suburbs who might be turned off by Trump, but who may have, you know, maybe traditionally uh, Republican. And then also, it's really important for for Clinton to get maximal uh, base Democratic turnout in, uh, particularly amongst African Americans. Uh, black voters came out strongly for Obama in 08 and 12. Uh, she needs that uh, again. Uh, she needs to win Hamilton County again, which is trending Democratic but was historically Republican. Uh, and she needs to win Cuyahoga County by a ton and really, but Franklin County by a ton, too. Uh, and just to put it in perspective, uh, again, Franklin County went 60-40 for Obama roughly in uh, in uh, in 2012, which was the best the best the Democrat had done there since probably Reconstruction. Um, uh, some recent polling indicates that Clinton might actually be able to do better than that in in 2016. Uh, and so if she can if she can squeeze even more votes out of Franklin County than Obama did, uh, it'll go a long way toward toward uh, potentially winning the state. You're at the Democratic convention in Philadelphia. Obviously, it's off to what people would call a rocky start. Uh, sure. <laughs> what are you going to be looking for at this convention? What's important to you in in sort of charting the political map? I really think that that Clinton's address is really the key thing, just like, you know, there was some. There was definitely some rocky, rocky moments at the Republican convention, but uh, ultimately, I think a lot of that stuff gets forgotten as the week goes on. And so, um, you know, there's been a lot of complaints by the Bernie Sanders folks and and some uh, some raucous behavior by them. We'll see if that continues. Um, 
but I think that I think that you know the big thing with these events is is what does the what does the nominee say? How do they perform? Uh, you know, Clinton has had a lot of problems with her own personal integrity. I kind of wonder if uh, she may uh, try to be a little apologetic about you know her use of private email while Secretary of State, uh, and maybe acknowledge uh, some of the negative feelings that people may have toward her, but then pivot and say that, well, whatever you think about me, you know, Donald Trump can't be president. Um, but so I don't, I, I don't know what, what she's going to try to do, but, uh, to me, a, a lot of the stuff that gets maybe reported on Monday and Tuesday, uh, ends up sort of going by the wayside. And then we worry about, uh, the, uh, the nominee's speech and to a lesser extent, the, uh, the vice presidential nominee's speech as well. And this convention will also have the president of the United States speaking, which we haven't had in recent times. That's right. Um, in fact, uh, at least at least at the elite level, I think you see a lot of unity on the Democratic side. I mean, Bernie Sanders is going to speak, Michelle and Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, um, of course, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden. So you know, unlike the Republican Party, where the elite figures are sort of on the sidelines, people like Mitt Romney and John McCain, the Bush family, uh, you have uh, you have a lot of the big figures in the party who are who are here and are going to are going to speak. You know, the question is, is are the uh, um, you know are the are the delegates themselves angry, particularly the Sanders folks? Kyle, we want to thank you. The book is called "The Bellwether: Why Ohio Picks the President," and. I, I highly recommend it. it. You can read it and uh, really become educated about the politics of Ohio. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Tom. We've been talking with elections expert, author, and journalist Kyle Kondek about his new book, The Bellwether, about Ohio's role as a predictor in presidential elections. The book is published by The Ohio University Press. We want to thank you for listening to Spectrum. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Spectrum is available on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, and NPR One apps. Tune in next week for a new edition. For more information about Spectrum, go to woub.org.